Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Latter-day Takes. After a little bit of a hiatus, I wanted to come back and bring on today's guest, who is my own mother, who some of you may know from her own podcast, the Choosing Glory podcast, which is also the name of the book that she wrote, and also for her appearances on Follow Him, the podcast with Hank Smith and John, by the way, which is actually kind of hilarious because... Um, John, by the or sorry, not John, by the way, Hank Smith at one point blocked me on Twitter. Yeah, that's a long story. It's maybe a story for another time. I may have talked about it before on the podcast. I can't really remember though. But anyway, funny story. So I bring my mom back on. And the reason why is because there's a lot of relevance going on in the news today. So about a week ago, there was uh, big headlines out there about the church and they came out in support of an act that was support for marriage act equality of marriage act which is basically uh, a defense of gay marriage in some respects but there's also a lot of religious freedom those components are in there as well um and that's a large part why the church was supporting it but i knew my mom would have some opinions on this so i actually reached out to her and i said hey have you heard about this i want to talk to you about it on my podcast and she actually hadn't heard about it at the time and that was an interesting part of the story too because i think it was actually buried under the major headline that trump had reannounced um, his candidacy, or not reannounced, but announced his re-candidacy. I don't think that's how it goes. But anyway, you know what I mean. 2024, Trump is running again. Not a lot of breaking news there. Um, but I do think it kind of got buried in that mix because that had overshadowed that along with a lot of other political races going on at the time. Anyway, so brought my mom back on. We talk about that. And it gets pretty interesting per usual with her on there. And she was really excited and passionate and what she had to say made a lot of sense to me. It resonates. And I don't think I just say that as her son, but maybe I do. Regardless, it resonates, and I'm not going to deny that. I always like talking to my mom. We always can't help ourselves. We get pretty deep and a little into the discussion. So it's like, why not record it and let others hear what we have to say? Anyway, I hope you enjoy this episode. I don't really have much more to say. We get pretty gospel-oriented in it. Um, I'm still deciding on whether or not I want to do something on the back end to share a scriptural thought. I think I will, just probably make it pretty quick. But in terms of new events and things like that, um, I'm a little bit behind. So I'm not really going to take the time to express what I think I see going out there. Plus, I will tell you this. There is going to be somewhat of a revamping going on on the podcast. Um, I don't think it will really be fully implemented until kind of next year. With that said, I do have some pretty fun plans I'm excited about, maybe bringing on people more full-time that's kind of in the mix right now, and I do have a couple episodes down the wire that I plan on getting out before the end of the year. Um, it is Christmas time, and I think that's a good opportunity to talk about gospel topics, among other things, and so I do plan on doing that at some point in the next few weeks. Anyway, I love you all. Thanks for tuning in once again. Hope you enjoy the episode, and we'll see you on the other side. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yes. best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not most drinking. Of the, most of the and they're like not cussing. They're like, 
Slovis, you stink. I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, the Mormons were the correct answer. Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints. All right, joining me on the podcast today is a special guest of mine, my own mother, Dr. Lily DeHoyas Anderson, who has come on per my uh, questioning, I guess you could say, is because I wanted to hear her thoughts specifically on the new statement released by the church last week, early last week. It was the same day that Trump announced his candidacy once again for 2024. So I think it kind of got swept under the rug, at least nationally maybe, or even kind of within the church it looks like. But I did see some things out there, and it was essentially that the church is supporting a bill on the federal level that protects uh, gay marriage. And codifies, right? Codifies is the is the verbiage, correct. And we'll read the statement here in a little bit. But before we get to that, um, I want to actually address the recent events that had occurred in Colorado Springs, uh, because it is kind of contextually appropriate to some degree, at least to acknowledge it. Um, but also kind of give my own thoughts on that specifically more than anything. Uh, apparently what had happened was that I don't know what the status of this man was that is the the perpetrator of the violence that had taken place at Colorado Springs at an LGBT nightclub uh, in, I think, Saturday night, Sunday night maybe. I think it was Saturday night, and four people were killed, a lot more injured. And um, so we, I guess we don't know the final tally there yet, but hopefully it is just those four. Not that that's a good thing at all by any means, obviously, but it's still a tragedy regardless. But you just kind of want to limit it at that if possible. And he is apparently or was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, we don't know his current status. It doesn't really matter because uh, it, it wouldn't matter regardless of if he was excommunicated or if he's a current member in terms of the connection. And there's a lot of people out there on Twitter that have a bone to pick with the Church that are trying to draw conclusions with verbiage like Elder Holland talking about musket fire and things like that. Um, Elder Oaks talks how he's aggressive about the protection of marriage, what it says in uh, Proclamation of the World on the Families, things like that. And my own, the thing that I come to immediately is that we, a lot of people when they're trying to prove some sort of point when they got a bone to pick with any type of organization or group will like to draw that conclusion and that goes both ways. So specifically what I think of immediately was the the shooting at the softball game that took place between Republicans and Democrats. I think this was back in like, I don't know, 2014 maybe, 2015 even. And it was a burning Yeah, I don't know the year, but Steve Scalise was shot. Exactly, like there were a few that were shot. Nobody died, fortunately, but there were a few that were shot. Steve Scalise specifically did almost lose his life. And it was Mm -hmm. due to uh, this, you know, lunatic that took it upon himself to take out the Republicans, specifically asking where the Republicans were. Now, he turned out to be a Bernie Sanders supporter. Does that mean Bernie Sanders is responsible for the shooting? And the answer is, of course not. So I think just based off of that logic, you can say that, of course, this is not related at all to the rhetoric that exists on the side of the church, that there's any sort of radicalization and that people may act aggressively out towards that community. What were were your immediate thoughts on that one? Well, the same thing. I mean, people always like to blame wherever they can. I mean, some people do. And that's really unfortunate that, you know, we're going to blame any or the organization with which they have any association um, instead of looking at what the association teaches publicly, what their doctrine is, what their 
you know, public and, and practiced stance are the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is against violence and certainly against targeted violence. God is no respect of persons. We have no right to be prejudiced or um, aggressive and haters of any group. I mean, these things have been repeated again and again. So it's always a huge reach to say that like, oh, it's because this person's a member of the church that, you know, they hate gays. There's no justification for that in any of the words of scripture or of our prophets. Yeah, no, I agree. So anyway, I just wanted to cover it to just kind of, we are talking about a similar topic, so I figured it was appropriate. Um, now, anyway, kind of moving forward, uh, let's let's talk about this, what they call Respect for Marriage Act, um, while you ignore that phone call on your side, uh, which it's great to have you back, Mom, by the way. You've kind of been up to a lot of things uh, since I've had you on last. It's kind of nice that since I've discovered you that you've been able to kind of make the tour on the Follow Him podcast a few times and things like that, right? <laughs> you discovered me at birth. That's exactly right. And I figured, you know what? There might be something with this woman. She might have a lot of great stuff to share out there. Um, she knows a couple of things. Yeah, exactly. She, she might be onto something there. Um, also, it's kind of nice for you to have the outlet to come on my podcast where you don't have to watch your language as opposed to your own podcast and follow him where maybe you might have to watch your language a little bit. So, In, An invitation that I will never take advantage of. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Um so let's let's get to this. I uh, do want to tell you there is some buzz about this on Twitter. People people are kind of excited to hear about this. Some people on Twitter want to hear your thoughts specifically, and uh, and also I did want to share this really quickly. I came across a tweet that I found hilarious that was mentioning you. I, I, I honestly I don't search your name out, believe it or not, but this did come across my feed because there are a lot of people that. I already follow anyway, and so it was uh, it was more uh, funny than anything. But um, let me see here. Sorry, I re- recently I just got to find it here. Okay, it says Lily Anderson's "Come Follow Me" episode on Amos is a bunch of emojis of fire and bombs, which is believe it or not a good thing. She isn't afraid to say what we're all thinking. And then she followed that up by saying, "For some reason, I've decided I love being chastened by Lily." I'm like not the greatest parent, and she makes me want to be better. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very nice. <laughs> that's very nice. I mean, I get pretty passionate, so <laughs> I hope it doesn't always sound like I'm trying to tell people off because I'm really just trying to ignite that fire in their belly. You know, we have so much potential, and we can reach it. Well, we obviously I'm always excited about that. We obviously need more and more of that. Anyway, okay, so here's the statement from the church, and we'll kind of talk about the logistics behind what exactly happened, because a lot of people were viewing this, this support for this, this uh, the, United, the United States Congress Respect for Marriage Act, which is basically codifying, as you had said, uh, same-sex marriage into federal law, and the church openly supported it, and here's their statement, because a lot of people were equating this to some sort of step in the direction of eventually, at some point, making it so the church will seal gay people in the temple and right gay marriage marriage is equivalent exactly yes can i can i just preface that by saying that obviously the reason for this and i know most people probably know this but just to make sure that that context is there it was the uh turning over of the roe versus wade decision it was the overturning that the supreme court did of that that prompted this act in congress because um, I guess it was Justice Thomas that made some statements that people immediately saw, oh, maybe they want to 
overturn the Obergefell decision, which is the decision that allowed for same-sex marriage in the entire country that the Supreme Court did. I forget what year. So it was because of that, because Roe versus Wade was overturned, that people said, oh, well, see, they could do that at any time to gay marriage. So we need to make sure it's in law as passed by Congress, as opposed to just a Supreme Court decision, which could change. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So here's their statement they gave November 15th. So literally, uh, I guess that would have been last Tuesday. Yeah, it was. It was the same day that um, that right. Donald Trump announced. Anyway, I just think that's important because like not a lot of people heard about this. And I thought that was kind of funny that it kind of got buried in the, in the news day because it was yeah. a big news day politically. Anyway. So it says, the doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints related to marriage between a man and a woman is well known and will remain unchanged. First line, we are grateful for the continuing efforts of those who work to ensure the Respect for Marriage Act includes appropriate religious freedom protections while respecting the law and preserving the rights of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. We believe this approach is the way forward as we work together to preserve the principles and practices of religious freedom together with the rights of LGBTQ individuals. Much can be accomplished to heal relationships and foster great understanding. So what are your immediate thoughts on that when you hear that? Well, I think the important part is the first statement there, that the doctrine on marriage between a man and woman is unchanged. It's not going to change. It's not changing, which... I think um, is, you know, like I said, that's the most important part. The, I think where it's tricky is that the response, of course, generates uh, all kinds of different interpretations. There have been a bunch of headlines, and I don't have them listed here, but a bunch of headlines that kind of indicate that, like, oh, the church is softening. Oh, the church is becoming more modern. Oh, you know, and then given the history that the church put so much money and effort into to, prop eight. Um, I never remember which side of prop eight that you was, but yes on eight. To, okay. To vote yes on eight and support traditional marriage. Um, that, well, now the church is giving up, you know, or now the church is changing. And I read one article that dad found actually for me about, uh, from the Washington post, I believe that talked about, again, we'll see the younger members are more open to LGBTQ marriage and all that kind of stuff. So the church is, you know, setting up for this change and they're being influenced by all these different things, which I would say is a complete misinterpretation, a complete misinterpretation of what's happening. Similar, and we can get to this in a moment, but let's not jump in right this second, to what how some people have interpreted the change in the first strength of youth pamphlet. I think it's, there's a real echo here where people are like, oh, well, then now it's okay if our kids make their own choices and get tattoos or piercings or, you know, wear whatever clothes they want. I really see a very, very uh, parallel situation here where the church makes a move like this and expresses this kind of statement and people take it all wrong. And I think that that's a lack of knowledge of God that can really be enhanced if we discuss it better because obviously God is... Um, huge as a con as a, as a topic so you know coming to know him is a journey of life i'm not trying to you know tell people that they should know better because this is about learning to know better and when these things come it's a great opportunity to try to understand more how god thinks i love uh, isaiah is it 55 i should know this that says um my thoughts are not your thoughts nor my ways your ways my thoughts are higher and my ways are higher and this is not an indictment. I say this all the time. It's not an indictment. It's not 
Um, it's an invitation. God is inviting us to think more the way he thinks. So these opportunities where, where something comes that can be a little confusing or might seem a little um, inconsistent, that it's a great opportunity to learn more about how God thinks and how his ways are. And that's a wonderful thing for us to take advantage of rather than getting stuck with some of these headlines that are clearly not what uh, is said there. I mean, they start out by saying this is not a change in our doctrine. To, now, you know how I like to operate, and this isn't because I'm an antagonist. I mean, I am about some things, as you would very well know. However, I think it's important to address the other side of this in order to kind of debunk it personally. Now, sure. I, I wonder, and I, and this could be a rabbit hole we could go down a, a, for a while, so I don't want to do that, but it is important to talk about the parallel here of 1978, which is I think if that was never a thing, basically if blacks had never been withheld from obtaining the priesthood in this dispensation, then I don't think you'd see this much pushback potentially uh, in terms of gay marriage, because people, as much as I believe they shouldn't, are equating those two things. Um, I do not think civil rights compares in this same context. Now, I think it's a lot of it, what we're seeing is that people want to be on the right side of history, and they want to be the first ones there, because they look back at 1978 and they think it should have never, ever been an issue then, and so now I look at things that I can maybe enact right now as being a part of the movement and be the first on it so that I can feel good about myself later or something along those lines. Now, is it is that a safe assumption, do you think? Or and and, and not only do well, I want to talk about that assumption. assumption. How people see it? Because I think you're right, people often do say I think this has been so so here's I don't know if this is going to come across clearly, but you can help me out. I'm just taking a giant step back and I think I think God is amazing. I think that he allows for people to make these kinds of false equivalencies. And not that he's trying to trip people up, but he just knows how we roll. And he allows for people to have stumbling blocks if they want them. And again, it's a lack of understanding of God. I, and linear I thinking kind of causes that, I think, too, by the way, which is what we're only really capable of. Not, not, not necessarily. Capable, sorry, women, not capable. Women. But the natural way of how we live is what facilitates. It's maybe the easiest way, and it is it's, the easiest. It's maybe the default. Yeah, yes, yeah, that's what I meant. But we're capable of much more than that. We right. have a it's prefrontal God. cortex, and we can. We're capable of complex thought, yeah. and this isn't even all that complicated if we give God the credit that He is due. And so much of this has to do with our trust in God. Let's face it; it so much of it comes back to that. Are we really saying that God was not in control of this church and that it was a mistake not to give blacks the priesthood until 1978? Are we really saying that? I think that that implies so much that is dangerous. I don't think that's what now, a lot again, of the critics are saying, though. I think a lot of the critics would be saying it's not God, it's out-of-touch prophets. I think that would be their main argument. Again, I'm not – I don't again, agree with you. I'm saying – I understand right. But again, that is a lack of trust in God because God has said, and we just studied this in Amos, chapter 3, is it 19, that says, Surely the, God, the Lord God doeth nothing save that he revealeth his will to his servants, the prophets. Seven? Maybe. 3-7, seven. Seven, it's earlier than 19, you're right, sorry. <laughs> okay, anyway, 3-7. But he says that he's, he's in touch with his prophets. I mean, also, we read even more recently Jonah. And what is, <laughs> I mean, 
What does Jonah tell us? But guess what? The Lord works with his prophets when he wants to. Jonah goes the other direction. And it's so funny because you really think you can hide from the Lord? And so are we suggesting that the God who could have Jonah swallowed in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights, vomits him up on the ground, changes, you know, calls him again. And this time Jonah's like, all right, I'm getting the message here. (laughs) That even though I don't want to go this way, that this is the way the Lord wants me to go. And he goes. You think that the Lord wouldn't have found somebody else or had some great event happen? And again, I've referred to this so many times. I hope this isn't too repetitive for people. But remember that Peter, after the death and resurrection of Christ, had issues about the Gentiles. And these were cultural issues. He had been raised a Jew. They didn't interact with Gentiles. They didn't even enter each other's homes or eat together or any of those things. And of course, Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles, had some discussions and disagreements with Peter about how to move forward now that Christ had authorized the teaching of the gospel to the Gentiles. And again, was it incorrect for Christ? I mean, obviously he mandated that himself when he was on the earth, that he came only to the Jews. And he made some exceptions when he wanted to, but he was very clear. I come first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And that was for after his resurrection as a wholesale approach to preaching the gospel. So he had limited access not because the Gentiles were a lesser people. Again, he sent Jonah to Nineveh, which were all Gentiles, but he knew they would repent, and he cares for Gentiles as much as he cares for Jews. So he sent he sent a prophet to go and preach repentance to them so they could be saved. God loves everybody. He's no respecter of persons. He keeps saying it. Do we not believe it? But then he does designate time periods where people have access. And if we understand God, we know that these things are just temporal restrictions. They are not eternal restrictions. There are no eternal restrictions because God loves everybody and he's got temples. So in the right time and here in the information age where we can put it all on computer, family history is exploding and temple work is exploding. And it will continue this way and even at a faster pace throughout the millennium. We know that the temples will be open day and night and all that work is going to be accomplished because God loves everybody. So why are we worried about when it happens? If God has restrictions, like Israel couldn't have the Melchizedek priesthood in their midst, does that mean nobody there was worthy of it? Probably not. But they will have all those things restored in the millennium because God will make it right. Anything that is unfair in this life will be made right through the atonement of Christ. So again, my statement is that here with Peter, who is struggling with some of this stuff to the Gentiles, and he and Paul are having some disagreements about whether or not Gentiles have to be circumcised in order to come into the church. That was the old law of Moses. That wasn't the way, but Paul saw that quicker than Peter did. So what happens? God puts him basically in some sort of coma. <laughs> During the day, he, has, he falls into this trance and has that vision of, the, you know, I'll set out before him all these animals that were unclean, from the law of Moses, that he would never have eaten in the way that he was raised, and God commands him, eat. And Peter's first response is, no, like I've never, I've never eaten of those my whole life because I've been obedient to the law of Moses. And God says something close to, do not declare unclean that which I have declared clean. You think he couldn't have done that to Brigham Young? Or John Taylor, Wilfred Woodruff, and all the other ten guys that were prophets between the time that Joseph Smith, you know, where they stopped ordaining black men and Spencer Campbell. Plus, we know that David O'McKay petitioned the Lord, and I'm sure others did too. Is it time? Is it time to give the priesthood to all worthy men? And God at one point told David O'McKay, and this is recorded in his writings, stop asking me. So was that cultural prejudice on the part of David O'McKay? Clearly not. Do we believe he was a prophet? Do we believe God really spoke to David O'McKay? Well, why wouldn't we? If we understand how God works with prophets, he changed Peter's direction. He changed Jonah's direction, literally. 
But we don't think he could get through to those 10 guys because of their culture. It was a cultural issue with Peter. God cut through it like a hot knife through butter. He could have done that at any point. So again, I, I feel like we have become so sadly kind of used to a world that doesn't believe that God is all-powerful, that doesn't believe that he speaks clearly to his prophets. So There was a dark age where we didn't have prophets. Well, we have them again, and God speaks to his prophets, and he is not inhibited by their limitations. So obviously there's extreme parallels and relationships here to what we're talking about. So to kind of bring it back, which that was my rabbit hole, but I did think there was an interesting comparison there that was worth mentioning. Um, one thing, so we do see that there are those temporal exceptions or whatever that God, you might call them that God will enact. Um, that's, we've seen through time, as you noted, limited access, Yeah, limited yeah. access due to ideology, religion, race, whatever it may be. Right. However, well, not due to, but he has his sure, reasons yeah, yeah. and mean, they I, do. I, I, yeah. I guess I just don't have the, okay. the, the breadth of vocabulary that you do. So I'm guess I'm limited in that respect. But, um, what I mean is the one exceptions he hasn't seemed to have made in history, at least scripturally, is based on sexuality, which is kind of what ties us back to what we're talking about here. And it remains unchanged, which is what church has said. And so that's where the comparison is very different, right? You're not going to see that. Like, I guess what I want to say is that there are no exceptions. It's always been eternal that a man and a woman can create offspring, and that's that, and that's what marriage should be based on, essentially, to create families, so on and so forth. I think that's a that's a fair distinction and delineation, and I and I think so because, like, having access to the entirety of the gospel or the priesthood or access to the temples, yeah, that's just a time-sensitive thing that God has his purposes for. Back in Old Testament times with the Levites and the Aaronic priesthood, etc., all that stuff, he's done that before many times, but... We're talking now eternal. And God, what does God say? It's not just eternal life. It's eternal lives. And why? Because it's about procreation. That is who God is. He is a father. And there must be a mother for there to be a father. It is a man and a woman, a woman that have had the ability from forever to procreate. Yeah. 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 So this is, we're talking about eternity, the way God works, his work and his glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. And then many times in scriptures, he does talk about eternity and exaltation as eternal lives. So what would be the point to say God, that people can have access to who God is, to their godliness that is potential in them? to that potentiality that exists in every one of us to become like our heavenly father and mother, like he would be denying that to say that like, well, now it doesn't matter because of course it matters. Of course it will matter yesterday, today, and forever that the only way that we can become like God and to ultimately fulfill that potential that's in us is to become mothers and fathers in eternity. Not everybody will, not everybody will receive that invitation and run with it. But that is what our potential is. He's not going to change that and say, but it's okay if you have a gay partner and somehow we'll figure out like how to pro. I mean, come on. Yeah. It doesn't bring happiness. This is what President Oaks talked about in April of 2022, just earlier this year, his speech. And it's beautiful and worth reviewing if you haven't read it again or, or studied it because he talks about it's not love to tell people that you can have all 
the happiness that God wants us to have by breaking eternal principles. If he loved us less, he would say, go ahead, do it your way. But, he, but that would be an abandonment of love because the only way for us to have ultimate fulfillment, ultimate happiness, a fullness of joy, a magnification of our potential, the only way is in a marriage between a man and a woman. That's the only way. There's no other way. Yeah. We can have something less, but we can't have all that we are capable of. So let's talk about kind of the the other side of this too. With um, You had mentioned kind of the Prop 8 reversal and how it kind of seems like a reversal to some people ideologically, but it's not. Right. You it's not. had some more interesting thoughts on um, what this like what the church is what god i should say is really saying here compared to what he has been saying right and we got into a discussion about this as we were kind of prepping for this podcast now i think it falls in line with this what i refer to as not necessarily a paradigm shift but definitely kind of a shift in in some senses which i know you're going to disagree with and that's fine but i I think maybe we're kind of arguing more about the verbiage or the semantics behind this. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, in the sense that the church seems to be a little bit more, le- or I guess a little less micromanaging the situation because it's almost like they're hands off, not because they want to be, but because it's like, you know what? It's time that we kind of these members of the church, the members of our church, put their money where their mouth is. We've been saying the same thing forever. It's unchanged. The Restraint of Youth pamphlet is actually the same. It just says maybe utilize the spirit a little bit more on your own as opposed to using us as a bunch of check boxes that you can look at and say, okay, I'm doing okay. It's like, so you know, use your own relationship with Christ as a gauge as opposed to your relationship with this pamphlet. Um, it seems to be that the Temple Recommend questions kind of fall into that same line of thinking where it's a little bit more like your interpretation. Do you consider yourself worthy to enter into the house of the Lord? And now we're seeing this with this statement, the Respect for Marriage Act. And and it's up more, a little bit more for interpretation, so to speak. I know you have problems with that, but that's kind of my, those are my initial thoughts, but I'm ready to give you the floor and let you go. Okay. Okay. Well, I think we agree on a lot of that. I think that, you know, and some of it is semantics. We define our terms in some of these areas because it, it can be overlapping, you know, some of the meanings, but, um, what I think is not that it is up for interpretation. I think that what that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He will not change. He does not change. He doesn't need to change. You know, we just maybe you've noticed as we've been reading the Old Testament that there are quite a few times in the King James version of the Bible that it says that God repented of this or God repented of that. Isn't it interesting that Joseph Smith, who was not able to spend time to translate the entire Old Testament, uh, retranslate in the Joseph Smith translation, right? But he did correct all of those. Oh, yeah. And he always corrects it to say, no, God did not repent. Somebody else had to repent. And then God, you know, took away the consequence that they didn't deserve anymore. Like with Nineveh, it talks about that. It uses that same verbiage. And God does not repent because he has no need to repent. He is perfect. He is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He doesn't make mistakes, that's, that's just, again, do we understand how great this God is? And I, I was talking to Dad the other day about this, about, you know, in a world that has really attacked hierarchy, and I talk about that in my Amos and Obadiah, 
choosing glory podcast because I think that's a really important part of what's going on in the world right now and it can be really helpful to understand that rejection of authority and so on that we're seeing so much and in and in our youth in the church as well and some of our adults as well but anyway God does not need to change direction ever <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't make mistakes he has the right to declare what is truth because he knows all of it and and if we could have that understanding of oh what i was i think i forgot to finish the sentence that i was talking to dad about how we need to increase our awe a w e our awe of god our wonder about how great he is like we should memorize the words to how great thou art and sing them inside all the time because he is magnificent and complete and there is nothing better than who our god is we can repose complete confidence in him if we start to understand even a portion of his greatness and that has been lost in a world that is so arrogant so incredibly arrogant i saw some clip that it was so quickly i didn't even know it was some awards show where people were like oh i'm not going to thank jesus because jesus had nothing to do with anyway saying, it was this really oh my gosh i didn't even see yes, it was some little clip i saw and i didn't really even know where it was but i saw the video so it was definitely somebody saying this and then everybody claps and the, and i'm like we have lost this awe and wonder of God. There is not fear of God. There's fear of death, which is so sad because death is not the enemy. It's unrepented sin. This falls but right in line, by the way, say, really quickly. This falls right in line with President Nelson last April in his spiritual momentum talk saying to seek and expect miracles. Well, it does. About. But can I, can I also say that whenever God, when I mean, and he said it again in this last conference when he said that the world will see miracles like they've mm -hmm. never, you know, like never before. Yeah. But you know what that means? That means there's trouble like never before because miracles don't come just for the heck of it. You don't get the parting of the Red Sea until Pharaoh's army is chasing you. That's when miracles happen is when there's a need for deliverance, when there's a need for the manifestation of the power of God. Because God lets us do what we can do, what is within our power that we can grow and learn and become. And then he intervenes when we are at the end of what we can do. So I, I think that there's a, both a blessing and a warning to all of that. And it's both. It's both that like there are going to be troubled times ahead. The world is heating up. Evil is raging. This is Satan's last big hurrah. And he's going to lose. He's already lost in, to all intents and purposes, but he doesn't even know it yet. And here he is trying to get all the people he can, but he's no contest for God. So at any rate, let me go back to this. Section 58. This is what we were talking about the other day, and our tech didn't work. My tech didn't work on my end, so we had to kind of postpone. But this is what I, I went to right away when I heard this, and I heard people wondering about, you know, is the church changing and all that kind of stuff. So here's what I think is super relevant information. I've quoted this a few times in my own podcast, but it's so relevant here. Where does it start? Section 58, verse 31. Who am I, saith the Lord, that have promised and have not fulfilled? Now that is a great attitude scripture, you know? <laughs> We would do well to reverence it. Like, who do we think God is? Changeable? Like, he needs to repent and change or he can't control his prophets? I mean, really? Like, this this person who speaks and the earth appears? Like, really? We are limiting his capacity? He says stuff and we're like, well, maybe and maybe not. I mean, that is our failing. And we can grow out of that failing into a better understanding and reverence and awe for God. So, Again, that's verse 31. Who am I, saith the Lord, that have promised and have not fulfilled? 
Verse 32, I command and men obey not. Well, isn't that the truth? I revoke and they receive not the blessing. Now that is how God rolls. And that is a part of his magnificence that we would do well to learn to understand and it would help us in our interpretation of what's going on in some of these situations. We'll apply it here in a second. Then they say in their hearts, this is not the work of the Lord. For his promises are not fulfilled, but woe unto such, for their reward lurketh beneath, and not from above. These are chilling words. Yeah. <laughs> I think they should be very sobering I, I to all love, of us. I, that's actually kind of hilarious. Like, honestly, it's like, and I don't mean to sound irreverent here, but it's almost like he's performing stand-up comedy. He's like, then they say in their hearts, this is not the work of the Lord. It's like, it's like can you, you can totally imagine <laughs> Okay, that's a little irreverent, but yes, you know what I mean. No, he has, he's like, he's like, he's like, they're saying, like, I, I, I give him, I give him a commandment, and I say, within this commandment lies a huge blessing, and you know what? They don't want to do it, so then I say, okay, fine, fine, don't, don't have the commandment, don't, okay. don't follow it, you won't get a blessing, and then they say, well, then this doesn't seem like something God would do because I don't have a blessing. He's like, oh my goodness, what are we doing here? <laughs> Well, I think parents can understand that feeling a lot too. It's kind of trying to help you out here, and Not then you I turn know, away that from That sounds me. about right. How, how could you possibly? Anyway, so here, here it is. This is, and this is how God rolls, and why. And I think it's really important to understand why. It's because He doesn't contend and He doesn't force. Satan forces. Satan is the one who insists and compels and forces. God is the polar opposite. God invites. And for those who seek, they will find, because God is generous, unfailingly generous, unfailingly good. But he will not argue with us. He is not going to arm wrestle us into a I imagine there's something that is in not the laws of the way. universe or something along those lines where he knows. Like, there, must yeah. be, there must be contention. And what does he say this? He says this is in, uh, well, Mosiah... Four, but it's lots of places in the scripture that he says, you know, that the father of contention is the devil. We, I mean, that is clearly stated and restated in scripture. Satan is the father of contention. And, and so God, why would he be anything like that? I mean, he's the opposite. So he, and then, so here's some interesting statements that I think are worth sharing. I, I found them in a speech by Elder Oaks called, what is it called? Love your enemies. Love your enemies from October, 2020. Just a few selections here. I'm not, you know, it's not the whole thing, but as pertains to what we're talking about today, he says, here is one of our Savior's teachings, probably well known, but rarely practiced. <laughs> how, well, how well they understand the situation. And then he quotes from Matthew 5, ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Can we see the description of God in that? And of course, the God of this world is Jesus Christ. So we're talking about Jesus Christ for a second here, but they're the same because Christ does everything the Father does. So it's the same, right? Look what he says. Love your and bless them that curse you. Has God not done that? Look at what he Again, we've just read the Old Testament here. We've been just studying that. How many times did he bless the children of Israel? They cursed him. Do good to them that hate you. He did. He was unfailingly kind and generous and gave them as all the time in the world. And they still rejected him. And there was a point at which the prophecies were fulfilled. But he, his arms were outstretched all the day long, right? 
and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute. This is this is God, and He's inviting us to be like Him, and it is seldom practiced. As uh, you know, it's well known, but seldom practiced, according to President Oaks. And I would not disagree. I would completely dis- agree. So, what does He say? And a summary. Somebody made a summary of this talk, and I'm using some of those summary statements. So, not exact quotes of Elder Oaks, but it's all from his speech. The first step to learning to love an enemy is to follow the Savior's teaching, not to contend with anger. And to understand the power of love. So look at what the church is doing. The church is not contending with anger. Now, why, why Prop 8? Because it was not the law of the land. And while it was not the law of the land, and citizens could still vote, and were having votes about whether or not it should be the law, the church was putting a lot of energy into like, you know, it would be much better for the country, because we'll lose blessings if we don't live the law of God, It's much better for the country if we can persuade people to vote to defend traditional marriage. There would be great blessings that would come from that, that we're going to lose when we give this up. But once it becomes the law of the land in Obergefell, in the Supreme Court decision, the church will not contend. Because we obey the law of the land. We don't contend with anger. We still teach the gospel. We still don't, we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what that first sentence was about. Things haven't changed. Things have not changed. That doctrine is not going to change. But we're not going to fight about it. Now, Which is kind of me, funny you say this concerning what we talked about right at the beginning with how people are trying to tie in rhetoric of the apostles and the prophets as some form of radicalization among our members. And you're literally saying the opposite right now, which makes a lot of sense to me because it's literally saying do not be a radical. We are in a That's land right. that has laws. We have to uphold them. We may not like them we may not agree with them we not may not believe that they're anything there's anything eternal about them but we will abide by them and that's and that's what he says this is elder oaks again president oaks obeying the laws of the land does not mean that we agree with all that is done with the force of law it means that we obey the current law and use peaceful means to change it it also means that we peacefully accept the results of elections That didn't happen last time, did it? We will not participate in the violence threatened by those disappointed with the outcome. In a democratic society, we always have the opportunity and the duty to persist peacefully until the next election. Okay, so my devil's advocate, or sorry, did you want to, do you want to expound on that right now? Well, you know, I can go on forever. So what were you going to say? I was going to (laughs) say, some people might look at that. And this, once again, once again, me saying this does not mean I'm one of those. i I had a whole episode defending Elder Holland's speech back down at BYU, the whole musket fire thing. Some people might hear that quote from Elder Oaks and say, well, that sounds all nice and good. But when Elder Holland gets – or I said Elder Oaks. I mean President Oaks. When Elder Holland gets down and then down at BYU and says, I could use a little musket fire – more musket fire these days – that seems to contradict in some senses. Now, I don't believe so and I think Elder Holland was saying – I think he was kind of talking about things that were different, but I want to hear first from you. Well, you know, really people have taken that out of context in a horrific way because he used the term musket. Why? We don't use muskets now, right? It was at the time of Nauvoo when literally the mobs were trying to stop the completion of the temple. And the Lord wanted that temple completed so that as many people as possible could receive the endowment of power that really was a sustaining power to them as they crossed the plains and as they settled the Great Salt Lake Basin. So this was a righteous desire to complete the temple. They knew they were going to abandon it. 
And why did they use the muskets? They never went on the offense. It was, as he said, a trowel in one hand and a musket in the other. Not to attack, to defend. And when he said, I want to hear more musket fire, it was absolutely in that context, to defend the church. He was not talking about guns. He was talking about now in social media, in our in our people's hearts and minds and in the way we talk about the gospel we should be defenders of the faith i've always wanted to be a defender of the faith really grateful for opportunities to do that we should all be defenders of the faith faithful to god yesterday today forever in our own lives at at whatever cost and that's what he's saying to defend the faith he's not saying ever to go on the offense so the context if you put it in the right context completely consistent yeah i agree i actually don't have any more to say because i think that was summed up very well Okay, so I was going to say here, too, another summary of this wonderful talk by Elder Oaks, President Oaks. You know, it took me forever to go from President Oaks of BYU to Elder Oaks of the 12, and now I have to go back to President Oaks, and I'm not doing very well. I'm always always a season behind. But uh, he went on, and another summary of something he said, another essential part of loving enemies is to render unto Caesar by keeping the laws of one's country. Though Jesus' teachings were revolutionary, he did not teach revolution or law-breaking. He taught a better way. So let's go back here to section 58. And what he said was, or what God is saying here, is that I'm not going to fight you over these things. I am a God of love, and I will, but I will fall back. If you, if you reject me, I'm not going to fight you. I'll fall back, and, and I'll still offer love to the extent that you're willing to receive it. This is, I mean, how do we not know this, right? Moses goes up the mountain and comes down with celestial law. These people could have become Zion, like the city of Enoch, like Salem, that led by Melchizedek. They could have become everything that you can become. And they totally rejected it. They were worshiped, they were defiling themselves in licentious, horrible ways with a golden calf. And he's like, all right, they're clearly not ready for this. So I revoke. And what does he do? I'm going to give you another law, which is actually a beautiful law. I talked about that earlier this year in my podcast about the law of Moses was incredibly just, incredibly kind. People get stuck in the eye for an eye and the law, for, you know, anyway, that's ridiculous. If you're interested, go and look on my, on my podcast about the law of Moses and how fair and just and kind it is because it actually compensated the victim instead of the state. So how many laws actually compensate the victim? If somebody steals your tires, the law doesn't pay you back. And they don't require, they just put them in jail. That's, anyway, the law of Moses was so much superior. And God is so kind. It wasn't a punitive law. It was love. Here, I'll give you something. Maybe we can start here. Because you're clearly not ready for this other. I would have, I invited you to that. You don't want it. I revoke. But you won't get that blessing. There won't be the priesthood in every home. There won't be the Melchizedek priesthood amongst the membership, only the prophets. But I still love you, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you more of a loving law that can at least help point you to Christ if you follow this. They didn't, but the Nephites did, and many of the Nephites were ready you know, to receive Christ, and, and they came to Christ in their own lives prior to the fulfillment of the law of Moses. So it was a great law that if people followed it, could bring them to Christ and be saved. God, but he does fall back. He's not going to contend. He doesn't force. He never compels. So it's like, you don't want this? All right, I'll fall back. And that's exactly what's happening here. He Basically, the church is conceding the loss of the culture war in this area. And you, and you, if you were to, you know, poll the, the citizens of the country, the vast majority, well, I don't know what the vast majority is, but honestly, the majority of people now want to approve same-sex oh. marriage. 
It has just. It, I wouldn't be surprised if a third of the church is in the same boat. Probably. And as as this Washington Post article talked about, they're thinking like, well, because the younger membership wants to do that, that now that church is changing oh, yeah, again. Like the church has know, ever bent their knee to young members. My goodness. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But that's the, the thinking, the secular thinking. And there's probably some people who, who buy into that. But it's not God's way. God just retreats. It's Now, it's a temporary retreat. And retreat is a funny word because I don't I hate to kind of say God retreats, but he does fall back. And he's like, like he did there with Moses. And he says, all right, you're not ready for that. But I always make those things available. And then you don't want it. So I'm going to give you something that maybe you can do. And some of them fulfilled it. A lot of them didn't. But he's so kind and good, he keeps working with us. And he's still working with America. He's certainly working with the membership of the church. And it's more and more just about the membership of the church because America is rejecting God. But there are good people out there still, and we invite them still, and we have missionaries to still invite them if they want to come. Maybe we can get more people in the lifeboats, but the ship is sinking. As prophesied, as prophesied, because we've turned away from Jesus Christ as a country in large measure. And honestly, I, I've said this before, but it's so sad to me. But even after 9-11... Even after 9-11, there was sort of a resurgence of patriotism and so on that was pretty evident and obvious. And I'm like, okay, that was nice that people were kind of circling the wagons and trying to love our country again and support our troops and things like that. But did we, did we try to fight the porn industry? Did we make cleaner movies? Did we, did we try to put the Ten Commandments back in the schools and, and, and you know, talk about prayer again? No. No, we didn't do those things as a country. So, yeah, we were attacked from outside. So there was a little resurgence of, of connectivity, I suppose, as, as Americans. But we didn't turn to God sufficiently. There may have been, have been individuals who did that. But as a country, no. So we've just continued on this prophesied decline, like the Nephite nation, that became more and more wicked and whatever. And the good news is that as prophesied as well, and God never makes mistakes, so we know this will happen, there will be... a portion of the members of the church who will become a Zion people. And that, I think, is, is where this becomes so important that we understand how God works. And we don't follow the crowd that is making this mistake that, like, see God's lightening up. Well, like, seriously? And that's what my <laughs> thoughts were immediately. I think I even said that on this podcast, was that changes in the handbook, like the For Strength of Youth, are going to have a polarizing effect on the church and its members because yeah, people are, some people are going to look at that and be like, Oh wow, it's easier. You know, like we can do this now or whatever. Right. I can have, I can multiple piercing tattoos, no big deal. Things like that. Like those aren't being interpreted by people all over the world. Anyway, I don't want to really talk more on that, but. No, let's talk other... about it just a little bit more. <laughs> Because okay. I think that that's the same thing. The first thought I had when I held, heard Elder Uchtdorf talk about that in conference, and I turned to Dad and I said, um, I think he just doesn't, he's not going to die on that mountain. Because he doesn't do that. He doesn't die on those mountains. Has, have any of those things changed? Has, has the respect and the honor that we should give to this great gift of a body that God has given us that is in the image of God, should, it, should we treat it any less reverently? any less respectfully? Should we do all these things that God has condemned in the past, Because, but now it doesn't matter? Like, that's absurd. He's just not going to bicker with us anymore. And he doesn't bicker. We bickered with him, or too many of us bickered with him, and so he's like, okay, I revoke. Not, not that the rule has changed. When he says revoke, obviously in Scripture, that doesn't mean that truth changes. And he doesn't ever revoke the doctrine of Christ, which is 
faith in Christ, repentance, baptism, and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost and becoming sanctified and eligible for the kingdom. Those things will never change. And God has non-negotiable terms to come to him in the kingdom. They are non-negotiable. Again, didn't we see this in the Old Testament where Saul says, well, I saved these people that are these, these animals that God told me to destroy, but I'm going to sacrifice them. So we're all good, right? And what does Samuel the prophet say? To obey is better than sacrifice. Like you can't bargain with the Lord. Are you kidding? You get to do it your way, but I'll just throw a little more sacrifice his way and we're all good. No, non-negotiable terms. God has that right. He is the ultimate authority. Again, if we had awe and wonder, we would stop arguing with him because it's ridiculous to do so. We talk about ending up on the wrong side of history. You argue with God, you will always be on the wrong side of history. So stop arguing. But he's just he won't argue with us. We bicker with him. Okay, I'll fall back. It's your choice, but you receive not the blessing. Those should be chilling words. We are existing by the glory of God. The sun gets its glory and warmth and heat because of the glory of God. Chlorophyll and photosynthesis exist because of the goodness of God. And we're kind of just like, okay, we don't need this blessing. Like, I mean, it just seems so arrogant, so sadly unenlightened to think that, that oh, this is, now we're more free. We've always been agents. We have always had the right to receive God's great light goodness, magnificence, or reject it. That is our choice. It's not to say like, well, maybe we can talk him into watering down the standards. <laughs> maybe we can petition for him and say that like, gosh, it's okay if we wear really short skirts or bikinis. You know, somebody told me the other day, like, these youth act like we didn't have bikinis in our day. <laughs> it's kind of like, that's true. We had them. I like to follow some of those random Twitter handles that are like historical videos or historical pictures. One of which was a police officer giving a citation to a woman on the beach in Italy in the 1950s because she was wearing a bikini. So, yeah, checks out. Um, what I wanted to say earlier, though, and was kind of when I had mentioned the polarizing effect, was that one side of that is you, those will kind of think that God, they'll interpret it as God is kind of letting up on his commandments. But the other side is that those, there will be people that will ramp it up. And I do mean that because they'll kind of look at this and be like, wait a second, I don't have the church as a safety net anymore. This is between me and God or my family, my people. And because of that, it's kind of more intense. And I think people like those that are in the same along the right path will say, okay, how do I try my absolute best as opposed to where's the line because the church has been telling me that for so long. Well, and can I can I add to that that um, you know when has God ever said it's now okay for you to blend in with the rest of the world? Yeah, and for people yeah. to take the first strength of youth change and say that all those things are okay, yeah, so that you can be indistinguishable from the herd. God's people are mentioned as a peculiar people, right? I mean, I, I can't remember mm -hmm. exactly where it says that, but that's something I've thought about a lot because, you know, I will, and I know this is going to sound funny coming from me and how you and I talk about, like, openly, I know this is like maybe not a place to talk about this on the podcast, but I don't wear garments when I work out, right? Personal decision. I've even talked with stake presidents about it, not that they're the be-all, end-all, right, what we're talking about. Anyway, but, however, you may be surprised to hear this part. I do look a lot of times, if I'm on the treadmill, and I'll be kind of looking to the people around me, 
And I'll be like, you know, I'm in a place that is very high density members of the church, or at least that people claim to be members of the church. And I don't see a lot of peculiar people in that setting. <laughs> and I will say this at least. Uh, I do dress in a manner respective of the garments in the gym. So you wouldn't be able to tell actually if I did or I didn't to set that record straight. Not that that matters. I guess that's just me kind of making sure my mom doesn't come down on me on the podcast in front of everybody. But anyway, um, which I would not do. Uh, so I'm not claiming to say that I'm not one of those. <laughs> like, uh, I look pretty typical in a lot of ways too at the gym, but I also could go fur- further in that respect. That would make me look less peculiar, if you know what I mean. But that was my point is that it's just sure. I look around a lot and I'll be like, I guess we don't really care about being a peculiar people anymore in some respects. And, and I dare say in most respects. Well, it, I'm afraid that that is the trend, obviously, that the wheat and the tares are growing together and they're, you know, less and less distinguishable in some respects. I mean, we, you know, they're, at least there's less distinguishable wheat. And yes, God does talk about being a peculiar people and a peculiar treasure. And that has layers of meaning, but some of it is that you're going to be different. And when he said that, you know, if the salt loses its savor, how else will the world be salted? And how does, and I remember somebody pointing this out, how does the salt lose its savor? Well, salt is always salty. No matter what it's mixed with, the actual sodium chloride is always going to have a salty taste. But when does it become unusable when it's mixed with dirt? Is that is that really the only, like... Well, of course. Like, if you mix it with dirt or you mix it with anything, you mix it with a bunch of other stuff, how, are you going to pour that on your food? Yeah. No, you're not. Because it's lost its ability to do what it was intended to do, which was to provide savor. No, so it's always going to be salty, but it's going to, it's no longer usable if it's mixed with the crowd again. So the idea is like, God really does want us to stand out. You know, prophets have talked about this for decades. They've used different phrases, but like, I think one of them, like President Kimball was to have a style of our own. But anyway, the message has always been the same. God wanted Israel to be distinguished from their neighbors. He wants all of us to be visibly his people. Like, what if he walked into an you know, into a public swimming pool. Would he be able to pick out the members? What if he goes into a prom? Would he be able to tell the Latter-day Saint kids in, in, in Utah? Would he be able to see and go, oh, those are the kids who are active Latter- Latter-day Saints because look at how they're dressed. They stand out. Like we, we've lost our desire to be different from the world in too many situations. And like you said, I think there is a polarization. I think there are some who are taking it more to heart that like, Yes, if if now it's more a matter of like the church is, and it's an interesting phrase that you used, it's no longer the safety net. Well, in some respects, it is a safety net, but you're right, you're right. It's no longer like I can say like, well, the first strength of youth pamphlet makes me do it. It's like, no, I choose, I choose to honor my body. I choose to respect. I know where the garment is and I'm going to cover my body as if I were wearing garments, even before I go to the temple, instead of asking, acting like, well, gee, I got to grab all the gusto I can before I lose my right to whatever, instead of like, no, I get to make and keep sacred covenants that have untold blessings behind everyone. We think we know what the blessings are from keeping the commandments. You know what? We're clueless. There are so many embedded blessings that remain hidden until sometimes we get a glimpse of like, oh my goodness, this incredible blessing that came to me. And we realized that was because I did make sacrifices in obedience. I did choose to honor God's way over my way, over the world's way. And 
we're going to get to the other side and, and the veil is going to be taken away. We're going to look back and go, wow, I can, I can hardly fathom and contain all the blessings that God gave me because I was not rebellious because I chose to honor him and to trust him. And again, trust is so intrinsic to all this to believe that he is better than we are. (laughs) Why is that so hard? Why is that so hard to think that God is smarter than we are? I mean, again, the arrogance is sort of dumbfounding, you know, to think that like, well, I think I got a better view on this, you know, (laughs) like this plan that has been worked a gazillion times and is so perfect. It will never change, but gee, I think I can make an alteration to some I wonder you know, if he's positive this aspect before. Um, exactly. So <laughs> but I think he missed this. The gray area of what we're talking about, and I know you have to go here soon, so we'll wrap it up here, but I did want to kind of point this out, is that the reason why this even exists is because there are some senses in which we are talked, we, we are encouraged to assimilate in a society, right? And this is one example in, of well, that, actually, with supporting this. this in the world, but not of the world. That's a nicely phrased distinction, yeah. right? No, I, and I think that's right. And I think that's where some people have a hard time drawing that line. But then that's where it comes down to your own personal relationship with Christ and understanding where the Spirit is guiding you. And that's why President Nelson has been emphasizing that so much yeah. in the last few years. But also recognizing that God does not contradict himself. So too many people, I think, get caught in the trap of thinking that, you know, I can get my own revelation on this when God has already spoken oh, on this. Who, like he's already spoken I you about might be referencing there. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of people that I've seen are good people who make this mistake, though, who are like, you know, just kind of like, well, but I get it. Mainstream. Yeah. Well, uh, anyway, church, church uh, media, that is. Okay. Um, um, let me also mention that some people talk about like that, um, you know, that as we get, you know, we he. I don't know, they almost characterize this as like, we must be getting better, so God is removing the reels. And it's kind of the opposite. We're getting worse, and so God <laughs> And you're like, let's try to like not be deceived by that. that He's and, actually and saying, let's see if you can paddle on your own. I'm sick of these. Like, I'm going to take away your life vest. Like, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, but it's here for the, for the asking, and that's what's so good about God, is that he's still like, my arms are outstretched all the day long. Just come back. Just come back unto me and we can make this happen. But but do humble yourself and not get caught in the arrogance of the world that thinks that you know better than God. And recognizing that, you know, it's not about like, well, now I can decide for myself. Like, look at Christ. Are we smarter than Christ? And yet Christ said, I do nothing save I've seen the Father do it first. You know, like I only do what God wants. Zero times did he do something different from what God wanted. Was he constricted? Was he limited in in his potentiality? No, he became God. He was lifted up to the stature of his father. Once he had resurrected and had that exalted, you're just like, but did he plow his own path? Did he, you know, did he decide to do it his way? No, he did it God's way. And that's why, again, thinking that like, well, they're taking these things off so that we can do it. No, it's so that you can choose of your own volition to do it God's way. And, and the more we want to advance, the more rules of the universe we will understand and harmonize with, not contend against, not rebel against. We don't have to reinvent the wheel on this. And I don't want people, again, what are people thinking that like, gee, my way of being a God will be better? Yeah, no. So like, no, it is about coming into, and it's interesting that this word is used in the New Testament. I forget which place it is. I looked it up and now I've lost it, but it's um, that we are to conform 
to the image of Christ. Interesting choice of word, to conform. And here we are in this anti-conformity attitude that it's all about my way. And it's not about my way, it's about his way. That's exactly what Christ said. He said, not my will, but thine. If we want a piece of that action, that is the only way to get it, is to conform our will to God's will. It's non-negotiable. And the blessings are immeasurable. Well, you could say that again. Um, I will say I am. Uh, I'm going to check to see here really quickly where it says that in the New Testament. But um, with that said, as well, I wanted to note that Mike Lee actually um, kind of dissented in his own way from this ruling, which I thought was interesting because Mike Lee, as far as I could tell, is a member of the church and a fairly strong one. With that, well, I mean, well, I don't you know what that means, I guess, anymore, but. You know my point. He's pretty active, considers himself a strong member of the church, I'm sure. And he disagreed with the act itself of that defense of marriage or whatever it's called, defense of marriage act, but um, uh, respect for marriage act, excuse me. And he did it along more along the lines of tax purposes, I think. And outside of that, I'm not totally sure, but it does kind of make it seem like it's only a matter of time until the church loses its tax-exempt status. And it will be through things like this, I would imagine. And that's what he, his point was, is that it did not have enough language in there for me to feel satisfied that these nonprofit organizations are protected from losing tax-exempt status should it get to a point when they demand that certain uh, standards be placed for LGBT persons within yeah. that organization. Or whatever, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I and mean, that is exactly what I saw too. That Mike Lee um, felt that the protections for religious freedom were insufficient and not strong enough concerning taxes, but also other things. And uh, and it is interesting because um, the church seems to, you know, have looked at all that. And I know that they're not blind, so that they are looking at that and saying we're going to go ahead and support it. I I wonder if it's because. Prophetically, they know that those uh, stronger measures will not be accepted. I mean, Mike Lee proposed an amendment and it was not even brought to the floor or something. It was just totally rejected. So, again, maybe just prophetically, you know, because they do see afar off, they were told by the Lord that, like, it's not going to get better than this. So at least support the minimal religious protections that exist in there. And that's better than nothing. And, again, the Lord knows these things are going to happen. He's not surprised. He's not caught flat-footed ever. And he's directing his church. So I think that, that that's what it seems to me. And and I think that that is kind of borne out by the fact that Lee's amendment was rejected. So it's like, this is how it's going to be. And we're willing to um, accept this for now because the Lord will fall back, which doesn't mean that any of us have to fall back. We can We know where the Lord's standard is. So we don't have any excuse for falling back. But as an institution, God's organization will not contend. It just, it will not, contention is of the devil. So it's like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight with you over this. No arm wrestling. We're just going to, we're going to take what we can get without contention. And then, um, you know, when the day comes, Christ will come and set it all right. So it's like. In the meantime, membership, we don't have to fall back. We are invited to press forward with faith, trust, understanding, awe and wonder at our great God and conform to the image of his son, not reinvent the wheel, not negotiate the terms, not find our way of being obedient, but his way. And again, immeasurable blessings. It's almost like the modern day version of Mormon 
telling his own troops, his own armies, I'm sorry, I can't fight with you anymore. Yeah, that is an interesting comparison where he just he didn't want to do that anymore. It's interesting, though, that he goes he back. He does go back. So it makes. And again, that shows the love. That shows the love of, of the true Christian that, you know, you're still my countryman and I'll, I'll help you again, even though I know that cause to be vain because you're fighting for the wrong things and you're, you're lost to God. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Did you have anything else that you wanted to fit in there? Just want to end on a positive note instead of that sad one, oh, <laughs> which is that we know how this ends, and it is a victory. It is a victory. Our only question is whether or not we partake of that victory. I've said this for years, but it's kind of like get on the train or get out of the way because the kingdom of God is rolling forth. It will never be stopped. It will fill the whole earth during the millennium. Which side are we going to be on? Who's on the Lord's side? Now is the time to show. We have a hymn that sings that. Great time to get out the militant hymns of the, of the hymn book and feel that rousing fervor that Christ will prevail and it's only a matter of whether or not we join in that throng yeah and you know it is something that came across my mind in this sense is that it's you know there's not really a whole lot you have to stress about only yourself because that's right i i have a lot of disagreements with people out there pushing certain things about the doctrine about how it can be changed or how it will change or things like that and ultimately and and encouraging to live your life a certain way that seems in contrast to how I would live my life. But here's the thing. The way I see it is my goal is the celestial kingdom still. And if they're really preaching and practicing what they're preaching, then their goal must be something less than that. And that's fine with me as long as it's fine with them. Yeah, it's their choice. It's their choice. And that's why we don't contend. We do accept people's agency. And that has been reiterated again and again by our prophets as well. We accept agency. We celebrate it because that gives us the choice, and that's all we can do. And really, the only enemy, Christ is so clear about this, Matthew 10, right, where he says, fear not them that can destroy the body. High-level stuff, because you know what they can do to my body? People do terrible things to other people's bodies, and Christ is saying, like, let it go. And why? Because he fixed it already. Not a hair of our heads will be lost in the resurrection He's got it covered. He's got our backs. So what does he say? Fear only them that can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. And who can do that? I used to ask my BYU classes. They'd always say, Satan. And I'd say, think again. Satan does not have that power unless we yield it to him through our unrepented sin. And God is so generous. It's not even sin that can destroy us. It's only unrepented sin. Now, he doesn't want us to repeat the same sins over and over again because that would show a lack of real change. But he is patient and he is kind and generous. And it's only unrepented sin that can can get in our way. So that is completely in our control. Just exactly what you said. That's, you know, what do we have to fear? Only our own unrepented sin. That's completely in our control. We never have to be caught in that trap. If our desire is toward God, he will help us. He will help us complete the task. He is mighty to save. We just have to put our hand in his and do it his way. It is a victory, and it can be our victory. Amen to that. All right, well, thanks for coming on, Mom. Go ahead and let you go. Really, really appreciate your time. As always, it'll be fun to push this out and uh, see. uh, I would imagine a lot of people are looking forward to it, and uh, it'll resonate with a lot of people as well. Let me know how it goes. I'm going to send my own people here too because I'm really glad to have this chance to talk about this great subject. Love Love you. you too. All right, so I decided to throw a couple thoughts together. I There's been stuff I've been wanting to get out there. Um, 
First and foremost, something that I feel like is pretty relevant these days, and it's with people I've talked to specifically, um, so some friends of mine that have expressed kind of their hesitancy, so to speak, of repentance. And, you know, at, you know, at first standing, you kind of recognize that you're, you understand why that exists, um, the hesitation that comes from wanting to repent. It's a little bit daunting, can be a little bit scary, why is it scary? They're, I guess they're scared of the punishment that may come down, right? So that's the question that I'm asking, is that why are people so scared of repentance? And I do think it is tied to that. It's like, well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen on the other side? When I speak with my bishop, my, my leader, and tell them all the things that I've committed over the last few years, which I've got my own stories about this that I will talk about um, sooner than later on the podcast are they scared of what the bishop's going to say? Are they scared of how the bishop's going to respond? Are they scared that they're going to lose a calling, that they're going to... And, and most of these people don't have callings, so that's the ironic part behind that, maybe. But are they scared they're not going to be able to take the sacrament? Are they scared they're not going to be able to participate in Sunday school or Relief Society or priest, priest session, elders quorum, or whatever? Um, I'm not sure, right? All I know is that if that's what your focus is, if that's where it lies it seems to be kind of missing the overall point. In other words, I think if you're more concerned about the punishment than the sin that's being committed, you've missed the mark a little bit. First, the church has lightened up on excommunication in recent years. However, I don't like that being the reason, right? It's like, oh, if you're not going to get excommunicated, then you can re then you can repent, do that the right way, talk with your bishop or whoever. That's the only, that's only because they feel that sometimes, I think the church has kind of lightened up on this, is because they feel that sometimes repentance within the confines of the church is actually more achievable and a restoration of one's blessings than being excommunicated. Because that can actually, you know, be harder for people to come back, I guess. And the idea is not necessarily to just cut people off from the church. And it's actually not at all. Like they want these, everybody to come back. The, the point of excommunication isn't to, throw you off of a ship so to speak i was actually kind of explaining it this way to a different friend it's not to throw you off a ship hoping you can swim it's saying hey our boat is still headed this direction no matter which direction you want this boat to go it's going to go this way it's going to go the, the way we feel is the right way and if you don't want to head that way here's another boat you're able to take this wherever you want if you should choose to join our boat again by all means we'll receive you back with open arms Excommunication isn't damnation, it's protection from the breaking of covenants that precedes damnation. So let me ask again, what are people afraid of when it comes to repentance? Because I feel like they should be more scared of what's going to happen if they don't repent, right? Because if you stay in this fold, but on your terms, where you think you're safe, or that you can deal with this on a personal level, then you're gonna have a, you're gonna have to answer to that in a much harsher way. Christ is gonna say, "You had this opportunity to repent for this, these actions, these sins, in it through through the way that was going to give you the healing that you needed, that was gonna help you come back to the fold the right way." And personally, that's not something that I really want to have to face. Um, you know, I'd rather get in front of it while on this earth right now and by doing so 
that gives me all the more possibility to come closer to Christ while I'm here right now because this is what this is for, right? That's the scripture. Do not procrastinate the day of your repentance. Now is the time to prepare to meet God. What is that, Alma 41.10, I think? Anyway, and it, it's very true, and it's something I've experienced on a personal level, and it's something that I would encourage everybody to do. Daily repentance. Discover the joy of daily repentance. President Nelson talked about that in his talk, Spiritual Momentum, which is not the first time that was mentioned on this podcast. That's probably because I can't help myself. It's one of the best talks I have remember reading, listening to, in probably in the past five years, quite frankly. Anyway, it's there for a reason. If you have more questions on this, by all means, follow up with me. We can talk about it more. And like I said, I'll detail my own process of utilizing the atonement through repentance, through speaking with my bishop specifically, through doing it what I perceive to be the right way, the way that we are encouraged to do so through Christ's gospel. Anyway, I hope that was helpful. I love you all. Um, hope you guys are gearing up for a great Thanksgiving. Hopefully you get to spend it with some family or friends or whomever. And you're happy. You're feeling grateful. I certainly am. Anyway, we'll catch you all hopefully next week. That's the plan. If not, it'll definitely be in the next few weeks. There must have been magic in the valley. And a rhythm in the night Cause I could almost see it Did you fade right out of you? If it takes time